What is good, my peoples? Welcome to another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. As always, that is AJ. He is the Green. I am Ken. I am the Beige. And we are into episode number five of season number four. This episode this week is called Ken Was Wrong. Moving on. <laughs> because, no, to be honest, it was a little hard to name this week's episode. And, I mean, I heard a lot about how I was wrong this weekend. So I figured that I might as well just get that out of the way in the early. What's going on, AJ? I'm good, I'm good bro. I'm good. It, it, it's good to see you fessing up to that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we'll hear more about that in the coming minutes, but I am doing well, sir. Uh, yeah. Yeah, just, there was a lot going on recently, so I can't wait to dive into this. Yeah, yeah, this week this week was a little difficult for me to try to nail down what the rundown was going to be because there's a lot that happened and while it was a lot that went on, not a lot of it was really much to talk about. I mean we we saw these these games this weekend and players teams got blown out, guys that were injured that probably should not have played, still played. We had the weekly cussing of offensive coordinators who really and truly should be out of work, if you ask some of us. But we can get to all of that in a second, right? Off the rip, as we try to do every week. As I said, Ken was wrong. What was Ken wrong about? Well, Ken was wrong mainly about two things, that at least that I can remember. The first one is probably the lesser of the two, which was my saints. I said that the Saints had nothing to worry about playing against Baker Mayfield and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I forgot that Pete Carmichael Jr. is still calling the plays for the Saints. So we struggled, we suffered, and we lost a game that we should not have because we started a quarterback that we should not have because Obviously, Derek Carr's shoulder is not great, is not good. And as when Kamara came back, yes, the offensive line immediately looked like if they were blocking so much better than they were blocking every other game this season. Go figure. We, we, we brought in our all-world running back, and we suddenly looked better. And we still couldn't pass the ball. Derek Carr couldn't throw the ball further than the shadow. And you know when you have light shooting from every direction, you really don't have one. So the ball wasn't going anywhere. And if we had started Jameis, chances are that game would have gone differently. Because one thing that Jameis is not afraid to do, he's not afraid to let it go. And I saw Kerr taking sacks that he had no right taking because he held the ball too long. So yeah, Kerr was wrong there. But AJ, you remember this from last week, right? When we were doing our weekend recap? Of this, you see, this is the one that I remember. <laughs> the, the 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 Saints one actually shocked me because I didn't remember. I, I I guess I had two, not one of. But this is the big one. Go ahead, sir. The floor is yours. So yeah, so as I you know, all right. So Stephen is a man that does his Stephen A list, right? And he always likes to tell you at the end of him saying the list that the list is fluid. That is, it does not necessarily reflect what he thinks is going to be for the rest of the season, but that is what it has been up until said point. Going into this weekend's game, I thought that the Miami Dolphins would have shown much better than they did. I did not see 
that they would have gone to the Buffalo Bills and get beat 48 to 20. Didn't see that coming. Because I figured that they had the cheat code, which is the amount of speed that they have on the outside. That they would have been able to continue to scheme their wide receivers open and everything would be good. Alas, that was not the case. It looked like men against boys. It was, it was not even as close as a 28-point beatdown would suggest. Ah, yeah, I was wrong. I, was, I don't think I was loud wrong because it's not like if I was hanging my hat on the Dolphins going forward for the rest of the year. But yeah, Ken, Ken was definitely wrong. And thank you. Is all for your is love for your comment because nobody saw that coming. It was not just me. It was not just me. If I thought that this was coming, I would have put some money on the game because I would have come out with a, you know, a couple extra dollars in my pocket. Yeah, then I mean, I mean, I don't think people were shocked at the loss per se. It was just the manner of the loss, like the mm-hmm. the yeah. Because I'm pretty sure didn't Ricky when Ricky said it. Didn't Ricky say it on the show last week that he expected the Bills to win that game? He but, did. Yeah, I don't think any of us expected them to give up 40. Even me, last week, when I because I did say, yeah, this defense is not good enough to be called the best team in the NFL, but I didn't expect them to give up 48 points. A week after scoring 70 on the other end, bro, that's, that's night and day kind of stuff. Yeah, but the thing is, okay, so even if you do give up some points, you scored 70 points the week before. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So even if you get me 48, even if you let 48 points in through the door, you should be able to get like 30. You would, one would 35. Think, one would think. On the back end, you know, you would put up a much better showing for yourself. But no, 20 points. The number one offense in the league put up 20 points against a Buffalo Bills team that lost. That's, don't forget, they lost in week one to a Jets team that just lost their quarterback and lost all their direction. This is the NFL. You can't. People say the NFL is scripted. You cannot script this. This is impossible. And this is even for somebody like me who does write the odd script for time to time. I would love to be able to come up with some madness like what we've been seeing so far this season. So yeah, Ken was wrong. After we that, we, we get that out the way. So let's see if I can do a little bit better this week than what I did last week because last week was a little bit rough. So AJ, we're going to give it for a weekend recap. And just to remind those of you out there, I mean, you can play along with us in the, in the chat. Um, I give you a topic. I give, well, we have a topic. I give you a headline. And then you tell me if it is cap or if it's not cap. No, I have a source. These are not headlines that I pull from any newspapers. So it's not like if I have credit to give that I'm not giving. These came literally off the top of my head. So if somebody else had the same idea as I did and wrote it in a paper, well, that just means that I'm on the right track. But we'll see how it goes. So AJ, we're going to start the weekend recap talking about CJ Stroud. Now, CJ Stroud is the rookie quarterback for the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans... Everybody said they were not going to be good this season. So it's not just me that's wrong. Lots of people are wrong when it comes to making these predictions. The Texans were supposed to be trending towards maybe a top five pick 
in the NFL this coming draft. But the Texans are currently sitting at 2-2. Two two. CJ Stroud has just passed for the most passing yards for a rookie quarterback in his first four games of his career. AJ, tell me, cap or no cap, CJ Stroud is rookie of the year right now. <laughs> we, we can talk about it again later on in the season, but right now, CJ Stroud is rookie of the year. Right now, that is no cap. That is 100% fact. He's absolutely the rookie of the year. Absolutely. Beyond the shadow of a doubt. And I, I think even in like official, in the betting circles, I think he's leading the odds. Like Bijan Robinson is right behind him. And I think Puka is third. But even just outside of that, right? Just taking a look at what he's actually done. Like you just mentioned the, the passing stats. But let me stick a pin here. Because first of all, I do want to... I do want to acknowledge, because I don't feel like we have given this enough light so far, but us, as black men, every time we are on these shows at whatever level, we're always bemoaning the lack of opportunities that black head coaches have, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't feel like we've given D'Amico Ryan enough airtime in talking about the job that he's doing, because the, the, the Texans are looking like a... Like a, a, a they, they, I'm not going to tell you they look like Super Bowl contenders, but they do look like they have a plan most times now they don't look like like the same shell of a team that used to be in the last few years with the sean watson running around like um leading league and passing yards but they obviously finishing up with the worst record in the league now they, they, they look like they're on the right track to becoming a good team not to see it have to give him credit the miko rice himself was a rookie defensive player of the year back in 06 so it's not like a man is necessarily a scrub, but you know, that's, that's his side of it. Perfect segue into what I'm going to say. He's more of a defensive coach. And there, st I mean, statistically, because I, I haven't watched a, a full game of theirs for the season, right? Um, but at this point, their defense is about mid-tier. But you know what is really Perkin Ken? Their offense. The offense is, why did this thing not, okay. So, I mean, like, defensively, like I said, they're both mid-tier. Um, yeah, the, where, where they seem to be excelling is in the secondary. They don't, it, it's kind of hard to, to gain, to get passing yards against them. They cannot stop the run, though. That is the one area where they seem to be, like, leaking. They can't stop the run. That's, that's the best way to get past them. Outside of that, like, they're, they're top 10 in the league defensively in passing yards. But you see offensively, 10, uh, Ken? Did you, did you know that they are actually fourth in passing yards? I did not. Fourth in the league in passing yards. They're averaging 281.2 passing yards per game. And obviously, this might be inflated because the last couple of games that CJ played or whatever. But it's not a knock against him, though. It just shows what he's actually doing with this mm -hmm. offense and with not necessarily a, a, a star wideout inside. I mean, Nico Collins has shown that he's, he's a good wideout. But he's like a, what a sophomore, isn't this his second year? And then you have, right, and then you have Tank Dell, who's a rookie. So with a sophomore and rookie wideouts as your one and two, essentially, to be fourth in passing yards and to have uh, like these sorts of records that that you just mentioned. I mean, at this point, I think it has to be CJ. Like he's actually making, and whoever is the offensive, Bobby Sloick or whatever. I have no idea who the guy is. Apparently, he was in San Francisco the last couple of years, but he's. Bobby Slowick or something like that is his name. Um, he was a passing 
passing um, coordinator in San Francisco for a little bit. Um, I have to give credit to him because it's, it's not. It won't be just down to him, but dog CJ is doing things, though, and and it's it is clearly flying under the radar. The fact that I was still after like week two able to like pick him up, he, like he, he was doing it all season. To be fair, even though he lost his first two games, I still was able to pick him up off the waiver wire in a couple of my leagues. And I sorry the way playing next week because he can start and he's going to ball out because it's the Falcons, so he's going to have the time of his life. <laughs> At this point, Ken, I, I don't think it, it's not cap to say that CJ is the um, offensive player of the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, he made. I don't know if he'll get offensive player of the year because then that's a much bigger pool. But rookie of the year, or offensive rookie of the year, yeah. Right now, it's really, really hard to see how somebody else is going to pick him for that title because. Okay, you know, when we look at MVP, the MVP of the league, especially for the last decade, has always gone to quarterbacks. And when we now see how teams are so impatient and they're not willing to draft their quarterback and let him sit for a couple years behind a veteran, I mean... Okay, so let's be fair. Houston didn't have a veteran, really, for him to sit behind. That team was so terrible last season that whoever whoever they drafted, if it was him or if it was the boy over in Carolina, whoever they picked, they were going to start them first up. And I have to give credit where credit is due because what CJ Strode is doing especially with all the noise that we were hearing about him coming into the draft. Because remember, we sat down here on this show and we talked about how the media was trying to paint this guy as if he didn't know what he was doing. He doesn't like to prepare. He doesn't like to put in the work necessary to be a franchise quarterback. And all he's done since he's gotten here is have the fourth best passing offense in the break record for the most passing yards in the first four games of a, a rookie season. Like, yeah, Puka is doing fantastic things over there. Right? Nobody saw that coming at all. Bijan Robinson, we were hearing talk about his name coming into the league. And similar to what happens a lot in basketball, you can usually tell who the media wants to have be the rookie, offensive rookie of the year or rookie of the year very, very early on. And if CJ Strode was struggling, we will be hearing much more about Puka and we'll be hearing a lot about Bijan. But he is blowing everybody out of the water. And if these teams continue to just push their rookie quarterbacks, directly into the firing lane every season, then unfortunately for the rest of the rookies and the rest of the players in the league, then Offensive Rookie of the Year is going to go the way of MVP and is going to be the best performing rookie quarterback every season. So at this point in time, yeah, it is definitely, definitely not cap. So we had some comments come in. Um, Anslaw, he said that early days, but yeah, it's, it's clear that he's a front runner right now for the Rookie of the Year. 
Um, Corey Alling, he gave you a slow clap for your take on Reigns. And he fully agreed with everything that you were saying. Ian's Law, he just put in chat as well. Don't forget, CJ Stroud was highly toted even in the combine. He was, yeah. but for some reason, he was holding a lot of unnecessary flack from all the Caucasians in media. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Ju- it wasn't just the Caucasians. I had a couple brothers that jumped on that bow. I You're right. You're right. I I just wanted to add something to that because I, I actually really I'm, I'm I'm and this is how I really get to to like certain players. You know, like when they come in and and essentially like under the radar. I would say not. And and I'm I'll use that loosely because I don't think that people are giving still giving him CJ the the recognition that he deserves for what he's doing so far. Right. It it, it could just be me. But I just want to add, in, like, take take this contextually, right? The the like overall, like I said, they're fourth in passing yards. Overall, they're ninth in the league in total yards, and they're bottom five in rushing in the league. So they can't run the football. So mm-hmm. essentially, all of their offense is coming through passing. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. You, you can't. We can't diminish the fact that he is working with some decent young receivers. But but this offense seems to be all CG at this point. He's even fourth in third, third in, they're even fourth in third down conversions. I, I mean, maybe some of them may have been runs, but can they can't run the football? They can. Mm-hmm. They're averaging less than 100 yards a game. This is all CJ, bro. Yeah, you don't have to tell me about how they can't run the football because I had Damian Pierce. I was. And at least one or two fantasy leagues, and he has not done much for my money so far. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's how it goes sometimes. So we talk about CJ Stroud, rookie quarterback. So now we move in now to another quarterback, former number two pick in the draft. Guy that we touched on briefly earlier, but we have to we have to talk about him again this week. Because apparently, even without Aaron Rodgers, the New York Jets are always going to be in the media cycle this season because they're still continuing to trust Zach Wilson out there. But this week, Zach Wilson was the first quarterback to outplay Patrick Mahomes in a game to have more yards, more touchdowns, and less interceptions, even though his team lost. So, AJ, the question is, cap or no cap? Zach Wilson showed he should be QB1. I needed to clarify something. Do you mean QB1 during just during this period without Aaron? Or like generally, because that, well, I would have two different answers for that. <laughs> well, I, you would not expect that I would come here and try to trick you like I, that. Just making so, sure. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking about for the rest of this Min, season. For the end of this season, you know what? I'm actually, I'm actually going to say no cap because I don't think that where the Jets are right now that they're in a good enough position to. Draft, uh, not draft, sorry, to trade for someone. And we discussed this ad nauseum last week, so I'm not going to go over that entire thing. But I think a lot of it had to do, and I, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that Zach Wilson is the answer. I am absolutely not. But I think uh, some of it had to do with play calling as well. No, Zach Wilson has, you can tell, this man has some some, some intrinsic things going on. Like, like, he has some confidence issues, right? But I don't think... I don't think that they're going who, and who is what was the backup's name again i can't remember the guy's name um whoever was was third yeah exactly i don't think he's gonna be better than zach i think if you do put zach in a position 
to get the best out of him, you're still not going to win the division. You're still not going to achieve what you intended to achieve at the start of the season by bringing over Aaron Rodgers. But I don't think you. I don't think they'll do better with whoever's sitting behind Zach. I mean, look, look at the the way the man played, and you could. I know some people might say that that's a one-off. I think you have to work with what you have with, with what you have at this point. The Jet, they're not in a position to go out and pay to bring in to, to get another quarterback in the short term. Like it, even though that would be a very New York franchise thing to do, it does not make sense. So I think at this point you have to ride it out with Zach. And and from what he showed in the last game, there is even the slightest modicum of potential to at least, I guess, not be worse than the Patriots. <laughs> oh boy, you took me there, boy. Um, <laughs> Isla, I would love for you to elaborate a little bit more on your calling cap on this one because I too agree with AJ that at this point in time, for what especially what Zach Wilson was able to achieve this week, it can't be cap. Because I've said it repeatedly every time from the time Rogers popped his Achilles, I've said that the best thing that the Jets could do is to roll out here with Zach Wilson because if you bring another quarterback in, especially now that the season is starting, you, you're basically saying you're punting on three to four weeks of the season trying to get this quarterback up to speed in your system. Now, the only other quarterback that I can remember right now that has played in the Nathaniel Hackett system is Russell Wilson. And you're not trading for Russell Wilson because he stuck in this system last season. So you had Rodgers, who's done well. You've had Wilson, who has not. And now you have Zach Wilson, who has an opportunity to grow and develop within this system. Now, one of the things that they made mention of during the broadcast on Sunday was that they actually started to call plays for Wilson. It wasn't like if you were trying to make Zach Wilson into the mini-me of Aaron Rodgers, but you're actually saying, this is the guy that I have. These are the skills that he has. These are the things that he does, and he does well, or he does well enough, and let's play to his strengths. And when they did that, all of a sudden, he looked like a competent quarterback. If we continue to try to fit the square peg into a round hole is, is just not going to work. So you fashion the hole for the peg that you have and you make it work. And yes, they lost the game, but they lost the game because they're going up against a far superior team with a far superior quarterback who didn't play up to his usual standard. But that also then can be put on the pressure that the Jets defensive line and secondary we're doing or we're putting on Patrick Mahomes during this game. So, yeah, I at this point in time, I will continue to ride for and ride with Zach Wilson. He, is, he has to be QB1 for them until Aaron Rodgers is healthy enough to get back on the field. I, I just don't see any other way for them to have any kind of success. All right, AJ. So, I I spoke about these, 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 these eagles, right? And people like to tell me that the Eagles maybe should be, could be 
the team to beat in the NFC because that's what they were last season. However, these Eagles, so far this season, they've played against the Patriots, a team that doesn't have a very good offense, and were one play away from losing that game. They won that game 25-20. to They got into a shootout with the Vikings, 28-34. The Buccaneers, I don't want to talk about the Buccaneers because the Buccaneers just beat me. But the Buccaneers did not show up when they played against the Eagles on Monday night a week ago. And they got beat 25-11. to And now the Eagles had to go to overtime to defeat the Washington Commanders 34-31. These Eagles have an unbeaten record, but all unbeaten records are not created equal. So, AJ, the question, cap or no cap? These Eagles have shown serious vulnerability. How to get that word right quickly. In 2023, cap or no cap? I've caught cap on this one. I call cap on this one, and I'll tell you why. It is just the wording of it. I don't, I don't think that is serious vulnerability because I think that does not take into account the fact that they had an extremely bagged up secondary. And that was supposed to be one of the major parts of the defense. I mean, generally, the, de the defense is supposed to be good in all phases, but I, th I think that hurt them a lot. Um, they have shown, they have obviously shown some vulner vulnerability, but at the same time, I realize, it, and I'm pretty sure you realize as well, people are going down so, so early. Like, it, it's hard for anyone to even put together a, a stretch of winning four games in a row. So the fact that they're still able to do it, I think it does say a lot. I'm still not going to call them like my favorites to win the big dance. I'm, I'm not I'm not going that far. But I, I, I think it's capped that they've shown serious vulnerability. I think they're dealing with things that every other team has had to deal with or is still dealing with at this point. However, they have been able to grind out these wins, regardless of how it came. Um, so I don't think it's a serious vulnerability um, okay. question at this point. So that's why I'll call a cap on it right now. So here's my thing. And I worded it this way on purpose because if I said that they have shown vulnerability, then obviously there's no cap because... I just outlined to you that they've been vulnerable in every single game. As well as they have been to be 4-0, they probably could be 1-3 because the only game that wasn't really a game was the game that they played against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But when you look at the quality of the opposition that they've played so far, if they were playing, you have to play the schedule that's in front of you. That is, that is a given. But if they were playing against the Bills as opposed to the Patriots. If they played against the Lions as opposed to the Vikings. Um, well, a divisional game is a divisional game. If they were playing against better opposition, they easily could have lost those games. And yes, the secondary does have its challenges. That is, a, that is definitely a granted in terms of the injuries that they have. But Jalen Hurts, AJ, 
he is he is playing relatively well. That's the best way he can play. He's playing relatively well. But he's not playing as good as he played last season. His passing has been a little erratic at times. And the team's talent has been good enough to pull him out of it. Because if DeAndre Swift doesn't run for 175 yards against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, maybe that score is a lot closer. And credit is, credit has to be given where credit is due because their offensive line is ridiculous. They are monsters that are mauling men in the run game, but the passing game still looks a little bit suspect, even though he just went off against the commanders throwing the ball to A.J. Brown, who had to go and make a kick up a stick on the sideline just to get himself more involved in the passing game. I would like to think that the Eagles will be able to sort all of their problems out and, you know, I, I certainly might as well just do the touch-push all the way down the field because apparently nobody can ever get to stop it. But... <sighs> They have shown they have shown some vulnerability. Is it serious? Time will tell. Because they do have some stiffer competition coming down the pike. Because well, the next game is against the Rams, who have been a little up and down. But they still have two games against the Cowboys. They still have to play the Chiefs. They still have to play the Bills. They still have to play the 49ers. They still have to play the Seahawks, who are actually looking pretty good as well. So there's a stretch there where we are going to find out the truth about these Eagles. Are they really Super, super Bowl contenders or are they pretenders because they're just taking advantage of a weak schedule? Time will tell. All right, just so it would be remiss of me to open the show and castigate my sins and not give you an opportunity to unburden your soul because your Patriots, your Patriots got curb stomped. This weekend, they got beat so bad, so, so bad. They got beat by the Dallas Cowboys 38-3. to And on top of this 38-3, to they benched their quarterback, Mark Jones. They took him out of the game. And they brought in Bailey Zappi, who, if you remember correctly, last year, came in and was... A bolt of lightning up the backside of the Patriots because he suddenly made these offensive players that you have been very um, critical of. He made them look better last season. And then he came in this game and he made them look better again. So, AJ, Patriots man that you are, cap or no cap. We put this here just for you, sir. Bailey Zappi should take over as the New England starter. Um, this is no cap. This one is obviously hurting me a little bit to have to talk about. Not 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 the actual quarterback duo or what have you, but just the situation that we find ourselves in that I've been <laughs> that I've been lamenting to you and all of our other friends, Ken, that we speak with this sport with, I've been saying for the last what, few years, I let me answer the question first. It's no cap. Billy Zappi should be the starter. The, the thing is, I feel like 
this is one of those situations where your starter always plays body and then you have the backup guy coming with the cape and he always makes everything look better and that's what Bailey Zappi has been so far so I, I, I'm not even sure that we have a great enough sample size to say that with, with certainty that Bailey Zappi is that much better than Matt Jones but what I will tell you is Matt Jones has been so bad that he needs to be sitting right now that's basically it that is basically the crux the crux of the matter right now Matt Jones doesn't deserve to be starting right now and this is not just I I mean I, I You've heard me complain about the fact that our offense is is, is built like like a, a kid's fortress in a living room or something like that. It is like I, I don't understand how Bill Belichick operates sometimes, but that's a whole other discussion. Let me not go off on that tangent. The fact of the matter is, Matt Jones is still making bad decisions. This this guy is not progressing, and it's one thing to just blame play calling because we know like up to like last season he had Matt Patricia. Helping him call, like Jesus wept for real. <laughs> but but still, but still, there are times when Matt just seems to get flustered on the field when he he just doesn't know what to do, and I feel like at this stage that's inexcusable. He just doesn't know what decision to make when at at a certain point you have to own up to 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 your own mistakes and 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 just raise your hand and say, look, I I I'm not getting this, I'm not getting this. Mac Jones gonna sit again. He has to sit. I, I, on at this point, I don't even care who's behind him. Even, even if we had Zach Wilson and Zach Wilson played like what he played last year uh, uh, in New York, and and he was sitting behind Mac, I would still say Mac has to sit. It, it, it I, I don't see how at this point he turns it around. And I, and I think to what exacerbates the situation is that every time he actually gets taken out and he gets bent, Bailey Zappi plays well. So how do you then justify putting Mac back in as a starter? I mean, and, and it, of course, it usually happens that Bailey gets put in when he has little to no pressure because we're already like losing by almost like a landslide or something like that. I, 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 I want the kid to have an opportunity to show what he's actually made of. This is Bailey Zappi I'm talking about. As you remember, at the beginning of the season, he got cut. And added to our practice squad. I guess it was to, you know, how Bill likes to rotate, you know, move around some people, as he always said. Um, but he's back, and I'm actually glad that he's back because when I saw him get cut, I was convinced that it was that other, was that other boy name now that I can't remember. Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer. There we go. <laughs> I really thought the prodigal son was going to return, but sorry, can I just had to get a lot of that out? But it it is no cap. It's no cap. Like, um, Ben Zappi should be the starter going forward because what, what are we actually playing for right now? We're not playing to win the division. We're not going to win the division. At, at, at best, we should be, at best, and this is like a, an extreme stretch, we should be saying, all right, well, you know what? The, the, um, getting into the, getting into a wildcard spot is still achievable. But even that is, like I said, that's a stretch at best. At this point, let's see what Bailey has as a starter. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I am here. I am here for all of the tears of the Patriots fans. I am here to see and hear you guys cry and be upset because your team is coming right back to the mean. And if the mean means that you guys 
are no longer able to cheat your way to wins, then so be it. I am very, very happy when you guys are struggling. And right now, if you were a business major, the Patriots would be a case study for the sunken cost fallacy. Because you believe that what you have achieved or what you have spent to get what you have means that you are not able to move off of it. You have to keep what you have because if you do anything else, then it will look like if you've wasted your resources. But there are some clubs that look at what they have and say, nah, this is not working. And in the past, that used to be the Patriots. It used to be the New England way to get rid of you one year early rather than one year late. But when we look at Matt Jones, somebody somewhere is trying to convince themselves that Matt Jones is still the answer, similar to what's happening in the other new New York and with the Giants when they're looking at all of the money that they just gave to Daniel Jones. Like, what are they doing? What are you doing? What is Bill doing getting up at the press conference and saying, nah, but Zappi is still our backup. Matt Jones is our guy. I honestly thought that when you guys cut him in the preseason, it was to protect Matt Jones. It was to, to get Zappi out of the building so that the fans will stop clamoring for him and say, this is Matt Jones's team. We're giving him the keys to the kingdom. We've finally given him uh, an offensive coordinator, somebody who actually can coordinate offense. And now our team is going to be better for it going forward. That has not worked out. That has not been the case, unfortunately. So, yeah, this is definitely not cap. For me, at least, if you want to have a credible offense, then Billy Zappi is your guy. It clearly has not been, and it will not be Matt Jones. So, yeah, I mean, we don't know. We can. We are just speculating at this point because we're not in the building. But I think that he should be the starter. And I agree with Ainsley when he yeah. says that the Patriots are a shadow of their former selves. And I am here for all of it. I'll give you a chance to respond. I mean, there's nothing left to say. I mean, I haven't, I haven't been very broody about this. I, I mean, it's, I, I'm kind of like, I, I've accepted, I did accept in the past, that once Tom left, that we were going to be in a very awkward kind of phase. I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't any, yeah, I wasn't, I, I wasn't, uh, um, you know what, what I want to say. My laptop is acting a little funny right now, but um, I knew exactly what it was going to be. I just kind of wanted some continuity in what we were building. And you know, the biggest issue I've had recently is the fact that as soon as Jacoby Myers seemed to be uh, um, starting to, to gain a, a, an on-field rapport with Mac Jones, this is this is one area I've kind of defended Mac in the past because he, he like he was actually becoming Mac's favorite target. Had a, a really good breakout here last year, obviously, because you know, it, it came time for a contract. And then we let him go to bring in Juju to pay Juju the same sort of money. I, I, I just don't see the sense in those kind of things. So, so I clearly I had to get that out again. But I, it, it, it's a sad state of affairs. 
And coming into the season, I told y'all we're going to be the worst team in the division. I wasn't under any illusion. I knew exactly what was going to happen. It is what it is. I, I'm, I'm not even upset with the fact that right now we're on the bottom of the um, the bottom of the curve, right? I'm just upset at what we're uh, at, at, yeah, basically how we're how we're handling being there. <laughs> Bill, Bill just really here trying to trying to break a, a coaching record for wins, but it's, it's at, at the rate we're going, this man this man might have this funeral on the sideline. Yeah, many more wins we can get. Yeah, that's the thing too because yeah, Bill has been around forever, and the fact that he's been around forever, he is a bit personal for him. The the attempt to break Don Shula's record for coaching wins. Everybody knows that this is what Bill is after, but we've heard statements coming out of New England that there's some unrest between um, him and Robert Kraft, and as a result, we can't be so sure that Bill is the one that's going to be able to say, I've had enough of this and I'm going home. Because Kraft just as well could say, I've had enough of you and it's time for you to go home. And I, as much as I am not a fan of Bill Belichick, to me, I think that that would be a bit of a travesty. If his last years in the league, because obviously there's not, there's not another job coming for him after this. I believe that when he's finished with you guys, that he's just done, he's going home and put his two feet up and then quarrel with the TV when the weekend comes because, you know, he's the kind of coach that it will be difficult for him, I believe, when he's not around the game in this kind of way. He doesn't have the personality for TV. So, yeah, Bill will have to go home. But I, I just don't want to see it end this way. Like, I would actually, like, I would applaud Bill if he was to break Shula's record. If he was able to do it. But time will tell. Time will tell where that goes. So, as we've finished that topic, we've actually completed our NFL portion of our show this week. And now we are going to do the second half because remember I said the title of this week's episode was Ken Was Wrong, Moving On. And, well, we are moving on from the Ken Was Wrong portion of the show. And now we're moving on to the basketball section because it has some big news that came out of the NBA. What was that big news? Damian Lillard, a.k.a. Dim Dollar, is a buck. I know you saw what I did there. Damian Lillard finally has moved away from the uh, Portland Trailblazers and now he is a member of the Milwaukee Bucks. This trade came down the pipe last Wednesday. I was very upset that it happened on Wednesday <laughs> because we had our show on Tuesday. If it happened on Tuesday, we would have pivoted and we would be good. But that did not occur. So we need to talk about this. And who better to bring in on this topic than Mr. Michael Hercules, a.k.a. Logs. We're going too wide on the green side today to talk about this trade in the NBA. What's going on, Logs? I am 
Very good, guys. What's happening? Seeing y'all in a minute. It is true. Well, first of all, <laughs> let me officially extend oh, congratulations God. on this oh, public God. forum. Ken, he has officially joined our fraternity. He's long as no married man. <laughs> My brother, congratulations, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Show up that finger, man. Show up that finger. Is that the flash? The flash you had for the people. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope I hope you and your your wife had a really good time. I know you were doing a lot of um, world touring. World touring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, no, I didn't even know you were back, but it's good to have you. Glad you're back safe, and I'm I'm really glad you're here tonight. Yeah, man, I had a nice little vacation. It was pretty good. Nice little world tour. I wish I could stay a little longer, but of course, money runs a little thin occasionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you run around for a while, and then all of a sudden, the bills catch up and tap you on the shoulders. So. Telling me, man. Yeah, so, so Logs, them is a buck. And when we, we look at this trade, a lot was given up to get him. So there was a three-team trade. The Milwaukee Bucks, they got them. The Trailblazers, they received DeAndre Ayton, Tumani Kamara. From the Suns, obviously, they're the other team involved. Drew Holiday, he's, he went to the Bucks. As well as the 2029 first round pick and two first round pick swaps for 2028 and 2030. And then the Suns, well, they got Grayson Allen, Keon Johnson. Um, Nasir Little and Yusuf Nurkic, Allen from the Bucks and the other three from the Blazers. So when we look at this trade, how do you how do you rate this trade overall? All right, so let's let's start with the obvious. Dame Dollar to the Bucks. I think this is an obvious great move by the Bucks. They needed Dame, and Dame needed them. <laughs> All right, so now Dame is playing with arguably the best player in the league right and the bucks get a closer because we have seen in the playoffs that the bucks offense becomes stagnant especially against good teams in the playoffs and dame is a very great guy to have especially in closing time because we know especially in the last five minutes of a lot of close games the bucks offense just seems just they can't get it moving and Dame brings that diversity to the team so he can get an open basket. And he, as we know, he's very clutch. All right? Um, in mm -hmm. terms of the Suns, I mean, just to touch on them, uh, it was a good move by them. They had to get rid of Aiden because there was no room in the offense for him. It made no sense. And, and, I, and I, I think the only reason why they, only, they gave him that extension was so that they could at least lock up some bench players. Um, and they locked up some bench players. I don't know if it's enough to take them over the top, over Denver, over maybe LA, or even Golden State. I don't know if it's enough, but it gave them some depth at bench, which they didn't have before. And Portland is just basically a rebuild. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's what it is, a total and utter blow up. Let's rebuild. We got a nice solid piece in Aiton, former number one pick. Let's see what happens. What about you, AJ? When you look at this trade, what feelings do you get from it? Um, speaking of just the, the Dame trade. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. So, kind of like basically have to echo everything that Log said. I think it's a definite upgrade 
for for Milwaukee. And as he said, in, in an offense that tends to stagnate and tends to have a lot of injuries, I think Dame is a very <laughs> welcome piece. Because when Chris Middleton inevitably goes down, at least now you will have like another dependable scorer. That's on the a court. little shady. That was a one season. All right, all right. <laughs> Tell that to my fantasy team. But anyhow, um, <laughs> anyhow, no, I, I, I like his addition to the team. Um, for Dame, I like it as well because I know he wanted to go to the Heat, but I always feel like it's better to be able to achieve something like this with people who have actually been there before. So as much as he may have fit into the Heat mold and and and. I, I, you know, so people say I, I, I like this. I like this. Um, the way he fits into the Bucks offense, basically. This is a better fit. Uh, well, I, well, I thought so too. I, which is what I I'd said in another group chat. I actually think so too. I prefer this, to, honestly, than the Heat. Um, for for the Blazers, yeah. I mean, the Blazers get so I was logs. I was actually trying to pull up this graphic that graphic that you put in the group the other day because I could not remember all the moving oh, parts yeah. in this. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot going on. All right, so the play, so. The Blazers, right, it's, it's, it's Aiton, Drew, who's now moved on, and we get into that, and then, oh, yeah. cool, cool. I mean, yeah, I guess they, for, for a team that's rebuilding, I guess they can work with Aiton, like, I, for temporarily at least, see what he could offer them out there. Um, but it, it, it is essentially going into rebuild mode right now, officially. I mean, they, they, they had already put pieces in place, like drafting young potential players with Scoot and um, Anthony Simpson. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they, they, they've, they've, they've gone full um, rebuild at this point. And then for the Suns, <laughs> the best move they could have made is to get rid of DeAndre Ayton. That was the best move they could have made. Uh, and, and they definitely upgraded. I mean, Nurkic, I, I know he might have some injury problems too, but I'd, I'd take a 70% Nurkic, Nurkic, sorry, over a hundred percent DeAndre Ayton, um, that's that, to me that's like the biggest name. Um, that's the one I'm most excited to see in that team. So I think it works. It, I think it works. That's just me. That's just me. Um, because I, I I just think he's that much better than, than I just don't see the, the purpose of DeAndre Ayton. Um, I, I I don't see the purpose of him. I don't see the purpose of him offensively or defensively. I don't think he does anything. Um, but I think it. The trade basically works for all three parties, uh, but I'm 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 I must say I'm definitely glad to see that Dame is a buck more so than he is a, a, a heetle or whatever. <laughs> see, no, I'm I probably am the only one then that would have preferred Dame to be in Miami rather than to be in Milwaukee, except that Miami didn't have the assets necessary to bring him in and still have a team that could be worthy of contending. Because when I look at what the Bucks gave, I got into this conversation in one of my group chats, and I probably was the only one that thought this or felt this way, which is that in some regard, I believe that the starting lineup for Milwaukee has actually gone a little bit worse in this trade. And I'm looking at it mainly from the defensive side because we know what Dame brings offensively, right? And we know when if you're making a comparison between Dame and Drew that there really is no comparison because Dame is a 30-point 
scorer and Drew will give you 15 to 18. And Drew's my guy. I, I'm a big Drew Holiday fan. Everybody that knows me knows it. But when I see that Drew is gone, and not only is Drew gone, but Grayson Allen is also gone, then we are looking at, uh, I guess you're, you're going to sit in and starting backcourt is going to be Dame and Chris Middleton that you're going to push him up to the two. Giannis is going to play the four. Um, I'm not sure who is going to play the three, but Brooke Lopez is going to be the starting center who has been good for them. So when I say that they actually got a little bit worse defensively or their starting lineup is a little bit weaker, logs, what say you? I do I disagree. Uh, they have, I mean, obviously they give up like one of the best individual defensive players in the game and you get back one of the better offensive players in the point guards in the game, uh, you give up a little defense for the offense. But I think the offense, because the league is so offensive-minded these days, it'll definitely more than balance out because you have to think, all right, well, we could get a stop, but you have Giannis, you have Brooke down low. I'm sure you have other guys around. I think they still have Crowder. You yes. have other tough guys there around. They could probably get a defensive stop. I'm just talking about like late, late in the game right now. So you could probably get a defensive stop, but then how are you going to score? Ain't somebody to score. And right now, to your point of he, he should have been on Miami, he has more offensive weapons on the Bucks than he would have on Miami. So That's think true. about it. Dame on the top, pick and roll with Giannis. You got Brook in the corner. You got Chris on the other corner on he the wing, the probably. He's going to be on the bench hurt. <laughs> <laughs> right, but, even, but even so, it's open. And what are you going to do? You're going to stop Dame? All right, you stop Dame. Giannis is going straight down the middle. You stop Giannis, Dame is at the top. You stop two of them. You got, you got Brook Lopez on the short three. Or you got probably Bobby Portis cutting through the cutting through to get an easy dunk. It's it's gonna be very hard to stop. It's gonna be similar, not quite as nice and finesse as a Steve Nash to uh, Amari Stoudemire kind of esque, but just a, a more offensive, a, a more aggressive Steve Nash in in Dame Dollar. Think about it that way. So yes, you lose defensively. But offensively, you get about 10, 10 to 12 more points. Okay. You have anything to add there, AJ? No. My man said it all right there. That's what I had there. Okay. No problem, sir. So then there's, you know, there was the other big, or should I say big name involved in this whole trade situation, which we've touched on briefly. Drew Holiday who was the the guy the who would take on the responsibility for the number one offensive guard for the defensive responsibility for the Bucks. He is now gone. He was traded to Portland. And Portland, from the minute that he got there, they slapped a four-season on his backside and put him at the corner and said, hey, what do you have? What do you want to give us? He is here to be moved. And 
the Boston Celtics were the ones that came in and decided that they were going to get involved in this. So they have now made the trade to bring Drew to Boston, to Bingtown. And they're sending Robert Williams III, Malcolm Brogdon, as well as a 2024 first-round pick via Golden State and a 2029 first-round pick. So the question I have to ask here, did Boston overpay for their holiday? No, Logs, you just came from your little world tour. So you were just on holiday. Did Boston overpay for theirs? Uh, I don't think they paid enough, but all right. Um, <laughs> I, I, all right, so the first thing that comes to mind when they, like, Drew, so Drew is automatically a better Marcus Smart. He's also taller, yes. more efficient, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so the only problem, I thought they got good to trade. Bragdon was um, a disgruntled um, teammate. Uh, so for some reason, I think he was. There were talks behind that he was. Um, he had some kind of conflict behind. I'm not sure if it was because of the playing style or, or minutes or something. But he was disgruntled, so they just got rid of him or something like that. But but to be fair to Malcolm, right? Yeah. If you came to the Celtics, expecting to have a bigger role, and you're forced to sit down behind Marcus Smart, wouldn't you be upset? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yes, 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 I would. Okay, continue. Yeah, yeah. Especially when, the, especially when the offense gets stagnant in late game situations because they can't close. Um, but you know, I digress. So yeah, so he's automatically a better Marcus Smart. The only problem I have with this trade, not really a problem. The only like uh, was giving up Williams. I thought he was good for them defensively and offensively. He opened up a lot of. A lot of stuff for them, especially um, Tatum and Brown, who get on my nerves sometimes. But yeah. <laughs> so does Drew automatically make them better? Yes. Uh, did they overpay? No, I think they paid pretty much what they were supposed to pay. I thought that Portland would probably ask for more, but it was okay. <laughs> okay. What about you, AJ? What do you think about? This did they overpay or do you think this was enough? So let me backtrack a bit, right? So logs, I I only found out today that you were going to be here, and it, it, it seemed very appropriate because my response to this question was going to be based on your response in one of our chats. Because uh, the very first <laughs> you remember that initial response that both of us kind of had was like, yeah, it, it seemed like they gave up a lot though. But then after you sit and let it kusume a little bit. Because I re I responded, you made that comment, and I responded basically with like the exclamation mark, like yeah, like they really did. But right after that, I started to think about it even more, and I'm like, you know what? They did not overpay. They gave up exactly, I think, what was needed, and I I I don't think they gave up that much. And from the Blazers' perspective, I think they got what they needed. So here's the thing: in breaking down the the four pieces, like we don't even need to talk about the picks. The Celtics have no need for picks right now, so who cares, nope. right? Nope. Um, the Brogdon thing, I, I always thought Brogdon was going to be a bit part, so I, I, I'm not even surprised that he was thrown in there to just, like, fluff it up. But the Williams one, I, I understand what you're saying, but I think there are two factors here. Number one, he can't stay fit. And, and granted, I, I don't think that that's the reason why... No, 
I know we, and I'm not saying that three of us here did this, but people generally tend to have this feeling that negotiations go like, like this is some kind of fantasy sport where like you send a trade to somebody and they just see it in the inbox and accept. It doesn't go like that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that these teams had a little back and forth. And, and, in, in all There's honesty, always a long right? conversation. Exactly. In all honesty, <laughs> I would bet that the Celtics did not want to let go Robert Williams, but that's probably the level of, of player that the Blazers wanted to be like, all right, well, nah, well, you actually have to give us somebody who we could, we could work with in this. Because Brogdon and Picks, the, yeah, that's Brogdon we can get rid of. The Picks good for the long term, but give us somebody to work with right now. So they, they, essentially the Celtics had to give up a good enough piece to get Drew Holiday in the door. And I think it just had to be like Robert Williams just had to be the sacrificial lamb. I, I don't. I, I really don't think that the Celtics pushed him out the door. It just was like, all right, well, we need to give up somebody who can it be? It, it, at this point, it have to be him, and it works for the Blazers because he's a young player who will fit in, supposedly, to their younger team. Um, yeah. I mean, hopefully, he could get over some of the injury concerns that he's had. But I think that that's basically what it was. I, I they definitely did not overpay because, in my eyes, all they really gave up was Robert Williams. Interesting. Okay. No, I I still think though that they did probably give more than Drew Holiday is as like if you take Drew Holiday in isolation, Drew Holiday is not worth a Robert Williams and uh what's his name? Brogdon. Brogdon. And Malcolm Brogdon. With and two first round picks. If you if you're taking it isolation, that's a lot to give up for Drew Holiday, who is thirty-three. He was last an all-star two years ago. He has not produced at that level that you would say we should be giving up this amount. No, if you take it and you consider what Rudy Gobert goes for, and these other ridiculous trades that we've had recently, then it doesn't look quite so bad. And of course, like Portland is not done, because Portland, they, the same thing that they did when Drew Holiday came into the door, that's exactly what it does with Malcolm Brogdon. He is right now standing on the God. corner for forces on his backside, nice. waiting for somebody now to come in and make a deal to take him off their roster because when you look at where their team is at right now, Brogdon doesn't fit that timeline. And he's not that level of player that you're gonna say, well, we will keep him because he is the he is the the rising tide that's gonna flow all boats. He too has his checkered injury past. You might be better off seeing what you can get for him and rolling out there with this young squad, which I'm actually really happy that Chauncey Billups has been given the opportunity to to develop. Because, you know, oftentimes we see a coach come in into a bad situation and then it's like, okay, the situation is bad. We'll keep you while the situation is bad. And then as soon as it starts to improve, we'll get rid of you and get somebody else now to come in to actually now take this team somewhere else. Chauncey is actually getting an opportunity to see what he can do in the development of these young players and especially with his guard history what he can do to develop these young guards that they have i'm i'm happy for him in that regard and when i look 
Like, just to give everybody an understanding of what they've received, Portland, that is. So far, through this entire ordeal, they've received DeAndre Aiden, Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, Tumani Kamara, 2024 first-round pick, two 2029 first-round picks, and then two pick swaps with the Bucks for 2028 and 2030. They, Portland is the new OKC. They have picks <laughs> forever. And if these, these young players develop, then they also will then have the opportunity to pocket some of these picks to then go after that player that gets them over the top. You know that you have something to say, AJ. You you seem a little bit puzzled. Yeah. <laughs> you look so confused right now. Go yeah. ahead, bro. No, it's my, my my laptop was just not oh, allowing okay. me to right. <laughs> unmute there for a second. That's what happened. Oh. Wait, I I I, I need to, to I think fact check you on. Did you did you say that Drew Holiday was an all star two years ago? Wasn't Drew Holiday an all star last season, twenty twenty three? Was he in twenty twenty three? Yeah, it was 2023, so he's coming off of an all-star year. Plus, okay. he was almost defensive player of the year as well. So, so you see, that's the thing. That's why I don't think that they gave up a lot. Like, this man is coming off it's of... I, I mean, I get what you're saying about the age and stuff, but what did they, what did the Celtics really give up? Again, like, they have absolutely no use for picks. Like, none. None. So, I, I don't even count the picks. And then they give them... They, you usually throw in someone. I, I think that is a that's the usual standard to get like an all-star caliber player, right? Mm -hmm. You give up some a, a player that the team could actually use, a, a player that the team could actually trade picks. That's kind of what they give up. I don't think that the Celtics are any weaker for it. Like like Log said, and that was going to be my point as well. They have upgraded on Marcus Smart tremendously, tremendously. I mean, that's the only thing they've really done. So, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. At the same time, and it, and it, it also is worst case scenario for the Bucks. I'm pretty sure when the Drew Holiday they didn't want him to end up at someone like the Celtics, mm -hmm. but no, like, yeah. But at this, even though at the, the same time, look. Your audio is getting a dim for the bucks. Audio is a little skippy there, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems Yeah, it seems like if we've, we've lost him now, but the, the only one other thing logs I did want to make mention of here was that for Boston when they have given up uh Robert Williams now. As you said, chances are they didn't want to give him up, but that's yeah. who they would have had to give up. No, they have to depend on Kristaps Porzingis as like the only credible thing. And thirty-seven-year-old Al Horford. Yes. <laughs> so, so no, that does put With them in a bit of a bind because is... Al is. <laughs> I, yeah, it just thought seems to have just ended. Yeah, it looks. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. But yeah, so I mean, we have to see how does like, if they're done, if they're going to try to to get some other credible big man in there to I, to I think they, show this up. Because the thing is, right now, it makes it seem as if they're fully focused on 
small ball. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, initially they said Derek White was going to be in the lineup, but I know they got Drew now, so it's going to be like Drew at the one, um, Brown at the two, Tatum at the three, um, KP at the four, and I'm not sure who's going to, who they're going to have the five. I hope they don't have Al at the five, or maybe they push it down and have Al come off the bench mm-hmm. and put Derek and throw Derek White in there with with Drew at the one and two and push Tatum to the four and have Przingis at the at the five. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's what they want to do or if they want to go to the route and look around for a, some decent centers that you know, like role playing centers that defensive get some rebounds, you know, so do some DeAndre Jordan stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean that that got, that could only be the other option because they don't need more firepower because you already have Tatum and Brown uh, and KP, so it'll be tough to add another offensive uh, offensive minded big man into that unless he knows his role. True, very true. Well, um, unfortunately, it seems that AJ is stuck. And that note also has to coincide with the end of our show for this week. Guys, we do thank you for jumping on with us because we didn't need to have, yeah, we didn't need to have someone of a more basketball persuasion to come on with us and help us break this down. Um, let the folks know where they can find you before before we get out of here. You can find me on Instagram, Demigod Chronicles, and Facebook course logs machiavelli <laughs> all right yeah so AJ, he has dropped off um just one one unfortunate fella. note that we 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 must touch on before we go um friend of the show adam graves who's our other basketball correspondent his grandmother passed away yesterday so our hearts and prayers go to him and his family we extend our deepest condolences to him from the green beige podcast um, we know that this is a very difficult time and we pray that God will continue to be close to them through this ordeal. Right. Yes. So, Logs, well, since AJ has dropped off, no, I'm sitting on the green side. So, <laughs> well, AJ is usually the green, um, but I guess, no, Logs, you're going to represent for the greens half of the Green Beige podcast. <laughs> I'm Ken. I am the beige. We thank you so much for your time being with us here tonight, and we shall see you next time.